The Baptist world, though scattered around the country, is interestingly intertwined. It's interesting how our paths continue to cross. In 1990, Amy and I were in our second year at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville uh, when Dennis Tucker entered as a student there. I was the assistant director that year of the newly built Health and Recreation Center, and Dennis came to work at the Health and Rec Center. We got to know each other there and spent one semester together. Amy and I went on to Clemson and then to Birmingham and ended up here. Dennis stayed on for seven more years, got his Ph.D. in Old Testament. He left and became a, a professor um, and then a faculty member, uh, staff member, and ended up at uh, Truett Seminary in Waco, Texas, where he became one of J.D.'s wonderful mentors. And so when we talked about this service, uh, J.D. said, I'd like to have Dennis Tucker come and preach. He's been important to me. And so we're glad that our paths have intertwined and crossed again. And it's my honor to welcome to the pulpit today Dr. Dennis Tucker. Thank you, Russ. And just so you know, Russ was a good boss. <laughs> it is a joy to be with you this morning on this wonderful and sacred day, J.D. Our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. You have heard it read already. There are many things we could say about the Gospel of Mark this morning. Though it's the shortest of the Gospels, we quickly discover it does not hold back in its directness. With Mark, we don't ease into the story it's not like Matthew where we get a nice genealogy to walk us into the story of Jesus. It's not like Luke where we get this beautiful birth narrative that slowly introduces us. It's not like John with that beautiful prologue. Mark, we are just launched headlong into the story of Jesus. The opening verse of Mark reads, the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the euangelion, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And from there, the gospel is off and running. Jesus crisscrosses the Galilean landscape, preaching to Jew and to Gentile alike, and finding his home among the most despised and the least expected. Repeatedly, Mark uses the word immediately. Jesus immediately goes here. He immediately goes here. Over and over, it's a fast-paced, action-filled, miracle-laden kind of story. It's a gospel story, at least up until chapter 11. And then it's like someone grabs the emergency brake in your vehicle while you're traveling 75 miles an hour down I-77, and they just yank it all the way up. With everything, in, in Mark, everything comes to a screeching halt in chapter 11. Up to this point, we've had the word immediately 26 times, and then it just stops in that moment, only to appear one more time in the gospel what is that linchpin moment? What is that moment when it seems like the whole story starts to swing? It's the triumphal entry in chapter 11. Jesus walks in to Jerusalem. Time slows. Jesus teaches and we're invited to listen. And that's where we are today in the gospel, not among the hurried crisscross travels of Jesus in the Galilean region, but on this side of the triumphal entry with time slowing 
and the invitation alive for us to listen. Our text is lodged, if you notice, in chapters 12, 13, and 14, an array of topics. You can look at the headings in your Bible. They all seem disconnected. It's maybe like Mark had his manila folder of notes that he took on Jesus' teaching, and somewhere across the Galilean region, he tripped over a rock and stumbled, and his notes just went everywhere. And maybe like the end of his gospel, he just jammed them all back in the end. Like, I, I, I can't remember the order, Jesus. We're just going to stick them all here in the last three chapters. But on closer inspection, as you might guess, that is not it at all. Mark is pointing to something much, much greater. In chapter 12, where our text is for today, we have three questions that are asked leading up to where we are. Or in fact, our text is the third of three questions. The first they ask, should we pay our taxes, teacher? We spend most of our time on the first half of his response. Give to the emperor the things that are emperors. But I'm guessing on this side of the triumphal entry, Jesus really meant for us to focus on the second half of his response. Give to God the things that are God's. Our lives, our dreams, our callings, give them all to God. The crowds come back with a second question, trying to trap him. And they say, what if there's a woman who was married seven times? And they want to know, to whom will she be married in the resurrection? And Jesus shakes his head and says, you're all, you're all wrong. Because you fail to understand this is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And then they turn to him, some scribes turn to him and say, so tell us, Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? Of the 613 Old Testament laws, you tell us, Jesus, name one. What is the greatest commandment of all? I suppose Jesus let it go quiet and he says, love God and love your neighbor. You and I, we have known these commandments for so long. In fact, you know better than I as Park Road. These are part of your core commitments. Love God. Love, neighbor. And yet, because they are so familiar, it is just possible we might forget them. But Mark refuses to let us do that. You see, these are not the cliff notes of the Old Testament. This is not Mark trying to give us a shortcut to being faithful. You see, these two commandments, they too are spoken on the other side of the triumphal entry and they are spoken in the shadow, the long, long shadow of the cross, and that recast everything. Because you see, Jesus knew. He knew all that it will mean for him to love God. He knew what it would mean for him to love his neighbor, and for him he knew it would look like a cross. He will be asked to give to God everything that is God's, And on that good Friday, he will have to trust that indeed this God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. What about us? What about these commandments for us? These commandments, they're not a demand placed on us. They're not a checklist for those of us gathered here. They're not something we read on an ordination Sunday so that a young minister can add two more things to his checklist. 
they're an invitation. They're an invitation to all of us on this side of the triumphal entry and all of us who stand also in the long shadow of the cross. They're an invitation. An invitation to love God and to love our neighbor just as Jesus did. They are an invitation to stretch out our arms and to die to ourselves. Love God. Love others. They are an invitation to the cruciform life. J.D., I'm not sure who decided on the date for your ordination. Maybe it was just the first open date on Park Road's busy calendar. But today I'm going to chalk it up to the genius of Russ and Amy and you and the other committee. And you don't have to tell me otherwise. But since you first told me of the date, I've been thinking there is something powerful about an ordination in the season of Lent. Last week, our pastor at Dayspring, Eric Howe, reminded us that Lent is not about giving something up, nor is it taking something on, although we may do both or one. He reminded us that at its core, Lent is about turning our hearts back to God. It is a resetting of our lives. So on this ordination Sunday, in the season of Lent, perhaps we would do well to turn our lives over to God even as we turn our hearts back to God. On this ordination Sunday, in the season of Lent, we would all do well to give to God what is God's. On this ordination Sunday, in the season of Lent, we would do well to believe in the God, of, uh, the God of the living and that he is at work in our dying. On this ordination Sunday, in the season of Lent, we would all do well to love God and to love our neighbor and in so doing to lean into the cruciform life. May it be so with each of us and with all of us. Amen. As we come to our time of celebrating J.D.'s ordination, we begin by asking for commitments. Commitments from J.D. and commitments from us as a congregation as well. So if you, I invite you to take your insert, bulletin insert, and read your respective parts along with me. Today we recognize, challenge, and pray for J.D. McDonald. Our hope, expressed by our calling, is that J.D. will assist us, as well as the broader community of faith, in growing to become more alive to God's Spirit. Will you accept the call of I will, praying that I may always be true to my calling from God and true to the affirmation of my community of faith. Will you pledge to live out your calling following the fourfold command of Scripture, prioritizing love, growing in worship, pursuing truth, and leading by serving? I will, 
praying that I seek that I will seek to follow Jesus in loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Will you, as a community of faith, also pledge your support and love to assist JD in his efforts of service? There are different gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different ways of serving, but it is the same Lord whom we serve. God works through different persons in different ways, but it is the same God who achieves the divine purpose through them all. Each one of us is a minister and is given a gift by the Spirit to use for the common good. Together, we are the body of Christ and individually members of this body. Let us listen for the voice of the one who calls each of us beloved. And in response, let us be faithful in living as a true community of faith. Good morning. My name is Kingsley East Gibbs, and I serve as the minister to youth at Dayspring Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, where JD was a youth sponsor, volunteer extraordinaire, as you can imagine. I'm here this morning stepping in for Krista Troop, who couldn't be here today. Krista and JD have known one another since college and are, lifetime, are longtime friends and encouragers in ministry. As a children's minister, Krista wrote this charge and of course included a few props for us all to remember it by. I'm honored to share this with you all today and to charge JD to ministry. I'll also add it's a great joy for me to be here with JD and your church community to celebrate and affirm his calling to ministry and ordination to continue this sacred work. The first item that we'd like to charge JD with is a basin and a towel. The primary charge with this basin and towel is to always wash others' feet. Always wash the feet of those serving beside you. Always wash the feet of those in your ministry, and most primarily, always wash the feet of those who betray and persecute you, as we saw exemplified in Christ when he washed the feet of Judas. Jesus never failed to humble himself and exemplified this humility and unconditional love for others by getting elbow deep in mud and dirt and lowering himself to clean the feet of his disciples. JD and Krista first washed feet in ministry together at a small church of 50 people called Unaka Avenue Baptist. This is the church JD drove Krista to every Sunday and Wednesday and a church that was falling apart at the seams but had 50 people who loved the Lord and wanted to serve him. Each Sunday and Wednesday, JD showed Krista how to wash feet. JD, you showed Krista how to wash the feet of those in the church and in the community so well. And our challenge to you is that as you continue to grow in the depth of your ministry, to never forget those early days of ministry where you were constantly elbow deep in dirt, washing the feet of God's people. This last item I have to charge you with, you might recognize, is a pair of pruning shears. As many of you surely know, 
JD is an expert gardener, a passion I believe he inherited from his beloved Meemaw. Pruning shears serve a major purpose. They cut, they cut off the dead parts of a plant to bring new life. John 15, one through four reads, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. JD, pruning is painful and gardening is exhausting at times. But I charge you to always remember who the true gardener of your calling and faith is. In the moments of painful pruning, lean into the pain and reflect on what a blessing it is to be pruned by the God of the universe. God bless you, JD, and Christ's ministry through you. We are here today to ordain JD McDonald to pastoral ministry, but that ordination comes within the context of congregational life. As long as he is with us, JD's ministry will be enacted alongside ours as part of ours, entangled together. So as it is appropriate for us to offer a charge to JD, it's also appropriate that we challenge each of you. We begin by asking you as we ask JD, will you also pledge to live out your calling following the fourfold command of scripture? Loving God with heart. Park Road Baptist Church, in all that you do, will you help JD to prioritize love in all that he does? What our world needs from the church in this angry age is not more orthodoxy, right thinking. It is a lot more orthopraxy, right living or right loving. So we charge you this day to make your own commitment, a commitment to prioritize love in your office, in your neighborhood, on social media, with your family and your friends. As the scripture says, when you lie down and when you rise up, we charge you to prioritize love. And as you do, your loving will inspire JD. Loving God with all your soul. Park Road Baptist Church, will you commit to worship God? Yes, the automatic thought is to show up here at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. Your ministers would love that. But worship is more than that. Corporate worship, what we're doing now, is designed to point us all toward God in song and prayer and praise and confession in silence in, in the ancient text in the spoken word. And all of that can happen outside of these walls and in smaller groups and in nature. And yet being a part of a whole can lead to transformational connection that is both vertical and horizontal. So much of JD's time is spent in preparing for all kinds of worship experiences. Showing up because JD put the work in is not the reason to show up. The reason to show up is because you recognize a need within your own soul to connect more fully with God and all that is holy and divine and sacred. Just as JD has committed to lead us in worshiping ways, we charge you this day to grow with him in worship. 
loving God with all your mind. Park Road Baptist Church has always taken this challenge seriously. From the beginning, you have been pursuing truth. That pursuit led this congregation away from its original Southern Baptist moorings to become more progressive and liberating, open and affirming. Our founding pastor, Charlie Milford, loved to say, truth is a becoming, not a having. The pace of change in our world is frantic, even terrifying. The futurist Buckminster Fuller estimated that before 1900, human knowledge doubled every century. It now doubles every 13 months. And one prediction suggests with computer advancement and internet connectivity, that will soon be reduced to 12 hours. Knowledge doubling every 12 hours. As our knowledge of the world continues to change, so must our understandings of God and one another. So we charge you, Park Road Baptist Church, to be open to the world, to challenge yourself in challenging JD, to love God with your mind, pursuing truth wherever it leads us. And loving God with strength. Park Road Baptist Church, Will you commit to putting your faith into action, recognizing that if we claim to follow in the way of Jesus, we will be compelled to remember that the first shall be last and the last shall be first and the greatest among us will be a servant. If we claim to be a follower of Jesus, we will be obligated to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and put roofs over the heads of those without a house and we will be duty bound to seek out and serve the least of these in whatever form that takes. Just as J.D. is giving his life in service to God, so shall we therefore charge you, the whole church, to lead by serving. The charges have been set, and now is the time for us to move to the blessing part. And it's going to take a minute, and luckily we have a minute. And if we go long, we gave full warning of that in the last couple of weeks. For those of you that are visiting, we've been banking some time, getting out a little bit early. Um, and there's a reception afterwards, so we're just going to be here for a while. But let me say a word about this blessing. Many congregations, many Baptist congregations, limit the people that can come forward for the laying on of hands to only people that have been ordained. That is not our practice here. Everyone is invited to come forward, place your hands on J.D.'s head, shoulders, in any kind of appropriate touch, and say to J.D. a word of blessing or say nothing. Or say just something brief. Give him the full load later. But for now, the beauty of coming together and walking by and offering blessing. It is what the world desperately needs. And today, J.D., you get to be the recipient of it. And I hope and pray that what you experience in these next moments will last you for your whole lifetime in ministry. You will call on and remember this moment so many times. It will be the moment that you remember why you're doing what you do. And it will be the moment that will remind you if you can keep doing it. It is hard work. It is holy work. And we are honored to be the congregation that gets to bless you in it. 
know there are some who take exception to our practice, but I don't know a better picture of church. Young and old and couples and families and children laying their hands on it, offering blessing. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so, so, so much. It is, it's a gift to be with you today. Even though I know for so many, and for me, it's a day where we hold grief and celebration hand in hand. The two feed one another in a way. On this ordination Sunday, I'm reminded that theology is important, that the language of our theology is important. It's important that we call this an affirmation. Affirmation is what happens when someone peripheral to the question at hand is aligned with the object, even though they don't have control over it. Affirmation doesn't change the thing being affirmed, and neither does its absence. We affirm things that are true, but the lack of affirming truth doesn't make it untrue. We affirm that God is love, but God would still meet us with love whether we believed it. We affirm the suffering of others by listening to them and sitting with them, but they would suffer with or without our validation. We affirm the gift of life when a baby's cry brings tears of joy and laughter. But life is a gift, whether or not we witness it. So our theology matters. It directs what we affirm and what we resist, what we condone, what we condemn. It matters because whether it's the person we affirm in their calling or the marriage we bless or the congregation we join in shared work, all of that says something about the God we worship, for better or worse. Lack of affirmation doesn't determine what's real or true or who God is, but it does determine whether we are a truth-telling people or not. I believe we're truth-telling people, and that sets me free. Today is special in part because it's cost me something. It's cost me something to say yes to God, though it's cost little compared to what others have paid the world over and across time. Though it's cost something, it will never cost what it would have cost to resist God and the life that God has called me to. I guess technically I don't have to have your affirmation, but doggone, it changes something. It means something. There's power in this. This is a sacramental grace in this sign and a blessing that you've given me because we learn of and encounter God in community as the mystical body of Christ, as people seeking God and being sought after by the Spirit of God. Today's affirmation is among folks from Park Road Baptist who have embraced me fully and offered the warmest welcome I have ever received. So many folks like Dave and Sally Silden. We're with friends from our CDC and from Central Baptist Church and Dayspring, from Milligan College and Guatemala and Baylor University, with social workers I've worshiped with at Mass and even in some United Methodist oversharing sessions, with beloved, 
brothers and sisters in Christ who happen to share my blood, my family. With all of you, you precious, bright, beloved, stubborn, beautiful, faithful, truth-telling people, charismatic and contemplative, analytical and artistic, progressive, conservative, centrist, goofy, serious, with you, all of you, there's another theological truth that emerges, that God calls a person to the entire church, just as God calls the church to the entire world. God calls all of us. The way of Jesus is still the path we're summoned to walk. The grace of God is still needed in the world. The Spirit still stirs up a wind empowering us to love. And we, together, all of us, answer that calling in the affirmative. So with that, I promise to love God with all my heart by letting it be tender to others, even and especially those who are different from me. I promise to love God with all my mind by seeking truth diligently, studying and growing my whole life long. I promise to love God with all my strength by making integrity and hard work my values and with all my soul by remembering I've been called by God, not by a person or a church or a denomination or a school, but by God. And I trust that through these commitments, I'll learn to love the church and all people as I also learn to love myself. And I promise to be a pastor who keeps in sight the fact that I'm being shepherded. And I promise to trust my ministry to God and to do my best to love as I've been loved without qualification, without transaction, with grace. May it be so.